Um, I've titled the message today, Don't Give Up. Don't Give Up. And you might be thinking, don't give up on what? Don't give up on life, don't give up on church, don't give up on God, like what? But I'm not going to give you the answer right away. As we work through the message, um, towards the end, you'll come to find the answer of what I'm telling you don't give up on. You can turn to 1 Timothy 2 is where we're going to be. And as you turn there, um, I want to share a story with you. So I had a best friend growing up, and this best friend and I did like everything together. I was involved in 4-H for 12 years out of my life. That's where I met my best friend. But um, my best friend did not know Jesus as her savior. But she came from a wonderful family, and her family really respected my family, but they would say, that's, that's just not for, for us. That's nice for you, but that's not for us. But I really wanted more than anything else for my best friend to be in heaven with me someday. And so I started praying. Praying every day that my best friend would come to know Jesus. Now, we, we did tons of things in 4-H together. We went on trips. We were in musicals, drama theaters together. We directed a play together. But we had a special tradition that every Christmas, my best friend and I would go Christmas shopping for our families together. So before we had our licenses and we could drive, our moms would drive us to the place we wanted to shop, drop us off. We would shop together. Um, Then when we got our licenses, we could drive to go Christmas shopping alone so we could spend even more of the day together. And still, throughout this whole time, my, my best friend didn't want Jesus for her. But I still kept praying. Now, I I invited my best friend to church. I invited her to youth group because I thought, surely she can hear from the pastor, the youth leader, that she needs to be saved. But still, no, that's nice for you, precious. It's not for me. So as we grew older, you know, you think you'll be, you know, you'll live next to your best friend someday in life, and you'll both get married, you'll both have families, but that's just not always reality. We started to kind of slowly drift apart. She went off to college, I went off to college. We didn't see each other as much anymore, but I still prayed for my friend to come to know Jesus. And sometimes I didn't understand why God wasn't answering my prayer. Because scripture tells us that God's will is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, come to know Jesus. But it didn't make me stop praying for her. Well, soon I met Jonathan, we got married, we moved to West Virginia, so we're even further apart. And I tried to stay connected to this best friend And when I would go back to Wisconsin and visit my family, we would get together sometimes. But little by little, we just kind of kept drifting. But one day, in my home in Payton City, I was very convicted by the Lord when I was praying. And he showed me, you know, Precious, you have wanted her to come to know Jesus her whole life. But you've been too embarrassed to tell her yourself. You've been too embarrassed maybe that she wouldn't want to be your friend anymore if you told her exactly what Jesus did for her and her need for a savior. And at that time, I hadn't probably, we still to this day exchange Christmas cards, but that's really the only connection that I have with my best friend for my younger years. But I was so convicted that I grabbed a notebook and I started writing her a letter. Wrote pages to her just explaining why I had invited her to church all those years, why I had invited her to youth group, that I was praying for her every day for her to come to know Jesus, and then explain the gospel to her in that letter. And I dropped it in the mail today, or that day, and I still don't know to this day if she ever got that letter 
I don't believe that, that this friend of mine has come to know Jesus yet, but I still pray that one day Jesus will reveal himself to her and he will soften her heart and she'll come to know her need for Jesus. Now, why do I share that story with you? Well, I tell you this because as we continue on this week in 1 Timothy 2, Paul is going to reiterate in this letter to Timothy the importance of prayer. He's going to write and tell Timothy, and also I believe the churches in Ephesus are going to hear this letter, and Paul's going to say, prayer is so important even if you can't see the impact that it is having or the difference that it's making. And so before we read this portion of scripture together, I want to pause and pray because I don't want you to hear my words today. In fact, just, you know, put my words out of your head. But I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit along with me that you will hear his voice to you today that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you the heart of the Father through this passage. So, Holy Spirit, we pause before you. We know that you're already here in this room. And we thank you for your presence. And... Holy Spirit, as we read this passage and, and look at these verses, we ask that you would teach us. Teach us the heart of the Father. And I pray that each of us here would hear and listen to your heart. Father, put aside distractions or checklists or the plans that we have after church for the day and just help us to sit here in this moment with you as we hear your truth, as we hear your heart. Thank you that you've already been working through the night and bringing us to this place right now. And so now we're going to team up with you. We're going to join you. And God, we turn up the volume of our ears to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you're at 1 Timothy 2, remember that the seven verses we're going to read today are just part of a big letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Last week, we learned that Timothy was like Paul's son in the faith. He kind of took Timothy under his wing. And he had left Timothy in charge of pastoring these different churches in Ephesus. And Paul was not with Timothy, but he's telling Timothy some things. Last week, it was Timothy, guard against false doctrine you got to stop the false teaching that is being spread through the church. And now, this portion we're going to read today, seven verses, they're kind of like just a paragraph in a letter. So if you can imagine this whole book as being a letter, and this is just one of the paragraphs in it. So Paul says, starting at 1 Timothy 2, he says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. 
For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So if we go back to the beginning of this paragraph, chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy and the church, he begins this paragraph by saying, first. First of all, Timothy and the church, prayer is of utmost importance for the church. Prayer should mark the body of Christ because without prayer, I believe our relationship with God will not grow. And I'll expound on that more as we go today. But prayer is so crucial for the church because we know that prayer is always the greater work. Jesus himself said of his church in Matthew 5, 13, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. That is Jesus' heart for his church. And we at Valley Church are men and women who pray individually, but we also come together to pray as a body. We pray communally to our Father. Now Paul goes on to say, I urge. This word means to try earnestly or persistently to persuade someone to do something. So Paul is saying, I'm, I'm just continuing to persistently encourage you to keep on praying. And if you read all of Paul's letters in the New Testament, you will find over and over and over, Paul says, of the importance of prayer. He says, pray without ceasing multiple other times. In fact, in the middle of his letters, Paul will just all of a sudden kind of abruptly switch and he'll just start praying over the church that he is writing to. Paul is saying prayer needs to mark the body of Christ. But he goes on to talk about some different ways to pray. And so then we see some words that maybe we've never heard before, and they're big words. And you're like, what does supplication mean? What does intercessions mean? Well, we're going to lay that out today. So in your bulletin, if you have one, um, you can write these down, and um, I'll give you the definitions for these. First of all, supplication is presenting a request to God for the sake of having it met. So you have a request for yourself that you would like God to meet, so you're going to um, bring that supplication to God. Ask him to meet that need. That's what supplication is. But then Paul says prayers, and usually we combine all of these within the word prayer, but prayers is just simply personal communication with God. So it's you talking to God and telling God what happened during your day, telling God what you're feeling for the day, just talking to your Father in heaven. It's not necessarily presenting requests because that would be supplication. So prayer is just conversing with God. Then intercessions, this word, is submitting a request to God on behalf of another person. So maybe when you fill out that uh, prayer request card on the back of the connection card, you are asking us as the body of Christ, or you send something into the Valley Church prayer chain, you're asking the body of Christ to intercede um, to God on your behalf with this request. That is intercession. And the last one, thanksgiving, is just simply expressing gratitude or appreciation to God uh, for the mercies that you have received from him. So four different um, ways that Paul says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So now maybe when you go home today and you're praying, you'll be able to understand, oh, what kind of a prayer is this? Am I, I'm interceding for someone today. Or, or you're just simply praying and talking to God. 
But Paul goes on to say at the end of that verse, he urges that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. What? Like, for all people? Why? Why should I pray for all people? Because, like, that would include my enemies. Paul says we pray for all people. And we love to ask the question, why, right? Why should I do that? Well, if you jump ahead, we're going to jump ahead a little bit to verse 4, it gives the reason why. It's because God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we pray for all people to come to know the way, the truth, and the life who is Jesus Christ. That's the why. Because that's the heart of Jesus. Now, Paul was really broad. He said, pray for all people. But what we're going to see next in verse 2 is that he starts to bring it in a little closer, just to shrink it a little bit. He says, okay, let's focus it a little bit more. Paul goes on to say, pray for kings. Now, in our world today, we don't necessarily have kings. Like in our nation, we have presidents, vice president, our governments. And in our world, it is very easy for us to um, complain about our world and our government. Um, and it can be easy for us to like bash them and even slander them. Maybe even on social media when we haven't even stopped to pray for them by name. Church, let's remember to be slow to criticize and quick to pray. We need to see those in government positions first and foremost as men and women who are created in the image of God. Now, you may not agree with them. You don't have to agree with them. But you can still pray for them. And that's what scripture tells us to do. Specifically, pray for them to come to a knowledge of the truth, to come to know Jesus as their Savior. Now, we're going to do something kind of fun right now because um, I want you to kind of like time travel with me, okay? Pretend we're going to put ourselves in a time machine. We're going to go back to when this letter was written because we don't want to take the Bible out of its original context. In order to understand really what Paul was saying, we got to go back to that world, what Timothy and Paul were living in. So I want us to go back and think about who was the king when Paul wrote this. There was a king, and his name was Emperor Nero. This is history. You can look this up. Now, you think that we have it bad here in the U.S. sometimes? Um, this is no comparison to what Paul and the early church was facing at the time of this letter. So I'll tell you a little bit about this king, this emperor Nero. He ruled the Roman Empire, which basically ruled the world from 60 to 64 A.D., Nero was a man who was married multiple times. He killed two of his wives. And then in one of his later marriages, he decided he wanted to mix it up. And he wanted to be the wife. So he married another man. Now we think some of the things we see today are like new. This is not new. This, this was happening hundreds, thousands of years ago. The sin that we see in our world. He even went so far as to have his own mother killed. Now, the city of Rome was set on fire when um, Nero was ruling, and we don't know for sure, but some believe that Nero himself may have started the fire so that he could have some new construction built how he wanted it to be built. But Nero blamed the fire on the early Christians and that caused more widespread, widespread persecution to happen.
during his reign. Christians were being martyred constantly under the reign of Emperor Nero. There's a Roman historian, Tatticus, he wrote, in their very deaths, meaning Christians, these are your brothers and sisters, ours, in their very deaths, they were made the subjects of sport, for they were covered with the hides of wild beasts and torn to death by dogs or nailed to crosses or set fire to. And when the day waned, they burned to serve for the evening lights. This is what was happening at the time Paul wrote this letter to Timothy and to the Ephesian churches. So you can imagine, just imagine you being one of the Ephesian churches and hearing Timothy, your pastor, read this letter. And you're like, what? Like, Nero is the last person I would ever want to pray for. But here we find Paul writing to Timothy in these churches and telling them, you pray for the king. Pray for Emperor Nero. Pray that this man would spend eternity with Jesus. This reminds me of what Jesus himself said in Matthew 5 in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 to 45, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So really, you know what Paul just wrote here? Was like the same words that Jesus had taught in his Sermon on the Mount. So if we think of all the thoughts that would have been going through Timothy and the Ephesian church's mind when they read this, pray for Nero? Pray for the man who's murdering us? Can I just remind you, when you don't know what to pray, like I'm sure maybe they didn't in that moment, remember to pray the scriptures. Because God's will is his word. His words are his will. So when you don't know what to pray for your enemies, read the scriptures and pray them. And some of God's will, he says right here, that he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth in verse 4. That's why we pray for our enemies and for those who persecute us. You know, prayer can often become less and less what we do, and it becomes more and more what God does inside us. Because as we pray for our greatest enemies, God can soften our hearts for them to know the truth of who Jesus is. And Paul reminds them of the why gives another reason. Why should they pray for their rulers and those in authority over them? Pick it up with me in uh, the middle of verse 2. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants us, as his followers, to keep praying for our leaders so that we can have a peaceful and quiet life, not relying on the government to provide for our needs, but instead our Father who is in heaven. And his desire, his will, is for all people to be saved. 
So our prayers need to be evangelistic for others. Pray that they come to know Jesus. Paul says this is good and it is pleasing to the Lord. How many of you want to please the Lord? Yes, I think we all do. Then we need to pray for all people. We need to pray for our government. You know, we have a new election season upon us. But can I remind you, church, there is no reason or need to fear, only to pray. Pray. The last few verses, Paul says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul says, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul writes that our prayers can be effective because of our mediator, Jesus Christ. We have no right to enter into God's presence on our own. We need a mediator to come between us and God and that person is Jesus. Jesus says of himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. You can't get to the Father unless you go through the Son. Jesus is our mediator. He gave himself as a ransom. That means a sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. Because you and I were prisoners to our sin with no hope. But then Jesus came and he paid the price to God the Father through his death so we could be set free. And all Jesus asks is that we believe in his death and resurrection and follow him with our whole heart with our whole life. Jesus doesn't want half-hearted followers. He wants all of us. Now, it's easy for us to look at others, <laughs> even those in our government, you know, anyone around us, and it's easy for us to point out all the sin in others, right? But right now, I want us to take time and pause together. We're going to move into a time of reflection. I would like us all to close our eyes and reflect on all Jesus did for you. Don't think about anyone else but yourself in this moment. And look at your life right now and think of the things you are allowing into your life that put nails into Jesus' hands. As the Holy Spirit reveals these areas of sin in our life, take some time to confess them and choose to turn from that sin. Thank Jesus for his love and his forgiveness in your life. Jesus, thank you for taking our sin on you, the sin that you have revealed to us in these moments. 
Thank you for your forgiveness. Amen. Churches, you reflect on his love and forgiveness towards you. Let that push you to pray even harder and more persistently for the salvation of lost souls in our world, in our nation, in our state, in our valley, and even in your home. Do you really know the God that you say that you love? Because his heart is for all people to come to a knowledge of the truth that leads to repentance and salvation in Jesus. That's the heart of our Father. And we cannot love what we do not know. To love the Lord, we must first come to know him in Jesus Christ. And we learn to love him more and more by abiding and conversing with him in prayer. When the people of God go to him in prayer and are faithful to share the gospel, miracles of salvation can happen. The unthinkable can happen. I have a few pictures I want to share with you this morning, and um, the first one should be coming up on the screen. This is a picture of the Roman Colosseum that was built in the first century. This is what is still standing of it today if you were to travel there. This Colosseum had 76 different gates and it held 50,000 people. It was three stories high and there was one gate out of the 76 that was reserved for the emperor to enter alone. That was only his gate. Historians estimate that 400,000 people lost their lives in a few centuries inside that Roman Colosseum. You see, the culture during the time that this letter was written devalued human life. People came for fun, like on a Friday evening to watch men and women thrown to lions and animals, and these men and women were even forced to kill one another. This was the heart and the attitude in that culture. And thousands of Christians, our brothers and sisters, lost their lives in that place. During the time when all that was happening is when Paul wrote that letter to Timothy. Is when the Christian movement was beginning. And these few um, verses today, Paul urged the followers to Jesus to keep on praying. Don't give up. Don't give up. Pray for your greatest enemy. You may not live to see the outcome of your prayers, but don't give up. Now I want to show you a second picture. Inside the Roman Colosseum today, where the emperor once sat is no longer an emperor, but a cross in the Roman Colosseum. Church, this is what happens when the people of God come together and pray for all people to be saved. And in a few short years, with the faith that they had 
And I believe because of the persistence and prayer, Christianity would go on to overtake the emperor and the world and Rome would fall. The cross in the Roman Colosseum would not represent crucifixion as a style of murder, but it would represent a single crucifixion of Jesus, the Savior of the world who billions of people are going to worship and know as the one true God who gave his life to save mankind. There won't be an emperor declaring life or death, but instead a cross declaring that death was defeated once for all in Jesus Christ. How did this happen? How? That where an emperor once sat declaring death now stands a cross. It was the prayers of God's people and the boldness that they had even when they were being murdered and martyred to keep on speaking Jesus. I tell you all of this because I want to encourage you, don't give up. The world is not too far gone. Our nation is not too far gone. If you think it is, then you have minimized who God is. God can do the unthinkable, but he wants to do it through you and through the prayers and faith of his people. I still don't know if my childhood friend has come to know Jesus, but every time God brings her to mind, I pray for her. Because church, I can't give up. I have to keep fighting the good fight and remember that our secret weapon in this fight is prayer. You know, Emperor Nero couldn't see the secret weapon that the early church was using, but the weapon of prayer brought down an empire and Christianity spread like wildfire. Whatever you think is impossible is not impossible with our God. But we as the church must do what Scripture says in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. God said, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. But the first thing that God asks of us is humility. And I believe that one way we can physically show our humility before him is by getting on our knees when we pray. I'm not saying that does anything, like God will listen to us more. But I like getting on my knees when I pray because it's a reminder to me that I am not God. He is God in heaven. I am here on earth. It's humbling. And I want to remind you that it's important that when we pray, we not only talk to God, because that would only be a one-way conversation, but we also listen to him. This is something I am learning more and more recently. I've been too good my whole life in just coming to God and spewing out everything and then go on my way. Don't leave any room to just sit and let God speak to my heart. No, prayer is a two-way conversation. Talk to God. Tell him what's on your heart, but leave time to listen for him. Earlier this year, at one of these retreats Jonathan and I went on, they had us write down, what do you want God to do in your life this year? 
one of the things that I wrote was, I want God to increase my faith. And I realized that in order to increase my faith, I needed to increase my prayer life. Because as my prayer life grows, my faith will grow. At the bottom of your bulletin, you have three blank spaces, and I want to close out our service today taking some time to reflect, to be still, to listen for who the Holy Spirit wants you to specifically be praying for. There's three different categories, someone in your family, someone from government, national or local, even maybe our school board officials. Can I just quick tell you this short story? You never know who God is going to put in your path to pray for. And yesterday, Jonathan and I were going on a walk with Izzy, going down the road, and uh, one of our neighbor, neighbors is on the local school board. And I asked her how things were going, and she said, this has been the hardest year yet. She said, specifically, spiritually, I feel attacked by the enemy serving on the school board. And she wants to give up, to be done. But God is not allowing her at this time to do that. But I could tell the enemy is just so many attacks coming. And I wouldn't have known that. If I just, hey, you know, to my neighbor and walk on by, but no, God had us stop. And as she was saying all these things, as our conversation was ending, I thought, I could say, um, well, I'll be praying for you, which I really would, or outside on the side of the road where cars are going by, I could pray for her right then and there. And so I asked her, I said, do you mind if we pray with you right now? And on the side of the road, we cuddled up in a circle and we were able to pray over her and, and over our local school board who are making decisions that affect our children here in the valley. And we finished praying and you could just almost see this weight had been like lifted from her. I wasn't looking for that yesterday or even planning for something like that. But when God drops a divine appointment right in front of you, take full advantage of it and don't tell someone, I'll be praying for you. Pray with them right then and there. I've even heard of people praying in the Walmart with strangers at 11.09. We can pray anywhere. Pray with people. I don't know who it is that God will lay on your heart. The third one is a friend or a coworker. And as we spend a little bit of time in silence, don't just write down the names of people that you know right away. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, who do you want me to be praying for? These are people that I want you to take home with you and pray for by name continually every day. So we're going to take some time to do that and then we're going to move into a time of prayer together. So just reflect for a few minutes who those people are and then write them down. As we move into a time of prayer together, I want you to be praying for those people. We're going to have a little bit more silence, reflection time. And if you feel led to physically get down on your knees, just slide into the aisle or you can come up front and pray over these people. 
if it is um, someone more, something more general like our government or our state government or our school boards, I also am going to do something um, a little different that we haven't done, but I, I don't want you to be embarrassed by this at all. I have a microphone up here. Prayer is individual at times, but then it's also communal, where we come together to pray. And Jonathan and myself and the worship team, we don't need to be the only ones who are praying in the church. We love to hear when all of our brothers and sisters come together to pray. So if the Lord lays it on your heart to come up here, grab the microphone, pray for someone on our school board or just the school board in general or for our government or for our workplaces, please be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And come take this microphone. You're not talking to us, you're talking to God, but we're going to agree right along with you is the body of Christ. So take these next few minutes, pray. If you want to kneel, you can. And also as you feel led to come forward and, and use the microphone to pray. So, Father God, I'm not very uh, used to getting up in front of people, and I'm going to go ahead and sit here. But I would like to ask you to be with all of our brothers and sisters today fighting addiction and our youth that are lost because they've been through struggles that no youth should go through. I ask that you be with those that think they are completely lost and broken and let them know that they are not that you can save them, and you will, if they just hold out faith and belief.
church, will you stand with me? And um, we'll just lift out our hands to the Lord together. Gates of heaven. And ask God to do what only he can do. Father, I thank you that you are here and that you are speaking to the hearts of your people today. Lord Jesus, we ask for miracles to happen in our government, in our state, in our valley, in our families. We ask for miracles of salvation. Jesus, we know that it is your will that none perish, but that all come to a knowledge of the truth to know you. And so, Jesus, we pray over our national government, over our state government, over our local government. And right now, our school boards are just really heavy on, our, on my heart, Lord. Jesus, be near to them. Reveal yourself to them. Bring salvation. And Lord Jesus, would you bring a revival to your church, a revival of prayer, that we would be men and women who don't just pray individually, but come together to pray for miracles of salvation. Thank you for loving us, for seeing us, for knowing us. And thank you for taking the time today to share your heart with us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.